Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Thank you for joining the conversation on Colloquium. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm, please visit excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome to the conversation on Colloquium. Today I have with me Louis Frank. He is the portfolio manager at Lotus Group Advisors and Lotus Group Capital, which we're going to get into the differences there. He's responsible for managing the Lotus Group alternative asset platform, which involves strategy, uh, design, manager due diligence, and portfolio management. And he is a Memphis guy, so not too far from my backyard and actually is a good family friends with one of our acquisitions guys. So it's fun to talk to somebody who's kind of in the family. We know a lot of the people. Welcome to the show. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. I've been looking forward to this. Appreciate you having me on. So let's talk about alternatives, right? I mean, this is the solution set you're bringing to different groups. Could you talk through the story and the genesis of the firm itself and, and why you all came into existence and the solutions that you're bringing to the ecosystem of financial advisory? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, it's an important part of our business, but, you know, as you guys have talked on the podcast at length and, you know, as a general topic of discussion for the RA landscape, it's, you know, alternatives are a big solution kind of moving forward from an investment management standpoint. But uh, Lotus Group, to kind of start, our advisory business has been around for about 14 years. My partner, managing partner at the firm, 
started his own wealth management business um, back in 2004. That was kind of a genesis out of his, you know, originally his management consulting career. He worked with a lot of business owners. And, you know, over time, those kind of owners had asked him for advice. And he eventually kind of at nights and weekends fell in love with that that business format and eventually left uh, management consulting to start Lotus Group. And again, as he navigated kind of the 2008 crisis, kind of came out of that, he really started to look at other ways to differentiate our business. And as you know, you can go to any city, Nashville and Denver are good examples. There's probably 50 to 100 plus different RAs you can choose from, right? So it's a competitive competitive landscape. And you know, he himself, Rob, had kind of gone down the alternative path, made some investments, saw the benefits of diversification, the benefits of different return streams for his own personal book and said, look, I think this is a good value add for our clients. And so that was the genesis of us kind of going through and deciding to use alternatives. And from there, you know, we've begun to really push on how can we add value, right? How can we find other managers, you know, more institutional? How can we bring that access point to the everyday high net worth investor? And so that was kind of the genesis of uh, the advisory practice. And then now, um, as we continue to grow, as you mentioned, our different product lines, you know, alternatives continue to be kind of that core differentiator for us and for our business. And when you think through your experience being in the advisory space, how has just the mindset about alternatives changed over the last 10 or 20 years? And you call it out the Great Recession in particular, which I really think brought this to the fore for a lot of groups. Yeah, no, I think, you know, it continues to be an uphill battle, right, of just educating um, other RAs, educating individuals of why to do it. But definitely, I think there's, you know, one major kind of solution that we see alternatives for, and it's the void of fixed income today. So, you know, we, we as of two or three, four years ago, you know, we, we've come to the end of the, the great bull run in fixed income and yields are not at all time lows. And where does that traditional 60-40 portfolio, right? Where do you fit the fixed income? Because, you know, the, the scary thing is, is you look at valuations today and if interest rates rise, you know, you're, you're looking at negative real returns, right? In the, in the fixed income kind of landscape. So for us, we think that has been a big tailwind, right? Of groups saying, how else do I get yield? But also, you know, we're looking at valuations in the equity markets at all time highs, right? So where do you, you know, where do you get out of your beta exposure to the S&P and kind of get that differentiated return, you know, stream? So I think for us, it's become more evident and, and a bigger solution for groups. But, you know, as we've talked about, Brian, at length, you got to continue to educate and, and kind of show how to add value and, and really how to how to streamline that access, because that's been a big pain point for a lot of groups for years. So when we talk about the independent RIA space and the multifamily office kind of burgeoning management firms, we mentioned we kind of discussed this over lunch in Nashville a few weeks ago or months ago. Do you see a difference in the educational mindset between groups that spun out of a wirehouse, for instance, or ones that have organically grown and shed their BD and now are a pure play IRA that are trying to set up set up a, an alternative platform? Yeah, no, that's a it's a really good question. And I think it kind of hits one of the points of where we've had some success, I think, with talking to their RAs is the groups that rolled out of the Morgan Stanleys, you know, the big credit suites of the world, you know, they are used to having huge research teams, right? With a platform of you need private credit, you can get access to A, B, C, D, E manager. And so 
we've had a lot of success with those groups because again, a lot of those guys have grown with, we have that outsourced team, right? So we're going to focus on growing our business. We should be on the golf course. And so there ha- we have had a lot of success with those groups, you know, looking at our platform and what we've done and what we've built and said, look, this is great. This is a great solution. We need to focus on sales and we don't want to hire a team to build that out for us. And so that's been a great, you know, a, a great avenue for us. I think on the other hand, right, you have the groups that have organically grown. And I think a lot of them have had a lot of success the last 30 or 40 years, right? The S&P is up at all time highs, fixed income's been great. And some of those groups, I think, are tentative to make the change because they just don't know. Um, and then some of those groups, you know, they're looking at it and saying, look, we need to make that change or we're going to be gobbled up by, you know, the aggregators or we're going to be left in the dust. And so I think it, it's kind of a, two-prong approach there with depending on who you're dealing with on the independent RA side. But we continue, you know, as each month goes by, as the market continues to fluctuate and the environment continues to change to see more groups kind of come and service back up. But, you know, as you know, it's it's an educational process. And I think for us, we really, we want to continue to make sure we educate correctly and that we partner with the right groups because expectations, as you know, in these investments are long-term. So when you're locking up your capital for five, seven, 10 years, you know, you want to make sure both sides are aligned with what that ultimate value is and the ultimate goal is that sort of investment. So let's flesh out some of the challenges that these groups would have doing this internally, right? And when you talk about hurdles for some of these allocators, what are the big pain points that you typically see and, and how do you solve them? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I think we start with with just in the investment side of things, it's access. You know, I mean, now at this point, we've built our network out, you know, deliberately and my inbound deal flow is any, you know, anywhere from, you know, two to 10 deals a day, right? So how do you look at all? <laughs> and we're part of that. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, that's no, no, great. It's great. It's always fun seeing how different people kind of try to attract the eye of, of someone in my seat. So that's great, right? You have access to all this deal flow, but at the end of the day, how do you decide which ones to go down, which ones to look at? And so what we've done, at least on that standpoint, is we have built a database in Salesforce. We spent you know a lot of time and money on that. And really so that I can sit there and every deal we look at, whether it's something we want to look at or not, we're going to make sure it's in our database, right? So over time, we're growing that. We're knowing what managers to look at. And then, of course, you have your COIs, your centers of influence. And I think one of our biggest you know centers of influence is for a firm or a size, about a quarter billion and growing, we have a very institutional you know, inbound deal flow. That's family offices, it's endowments and institutions, broker dealers. And so that's been really big for us. And then using our system and our process that we built to kind of vet that. But then, you know, of course, once you've made that investment, the operational side is an absolute nightmare. And, and you know that, right? There's the subscription documents that are different for every fund. And these are 10, these can be 20, 30, 40 pages long. You then have your tax K1s at the end of the year, which as you know, most of your clients have been having to extend. So that's a whole nother you know, issue. So what we've done is we've gone completely paperless. I know you guys have done the same, Brian, right? You do everything through DocuSign. You make that very streamlined on our life settlements product, which we can get into at some point. We have used a service that, you know, basically allows, you know, an individual to go in and fill out one time 20 or 30 different fields. Once those fields are complete, we can bring an investment online. They basically hit subscribe and that entire sub doc is filled out in 10 seconds and sent via DocuSign. So, you know, for our internal wealth management clients, you know, our back office can handle that. We can fill in their information for those outside investors. They now have a portal, right? Where they can very simply access, you know, and fill out these sub docs. And then anytime we bring a new, you know, a new offering to the table, they just can click subscribe and it's done, which is great, right? So we've kind of, I think from the investment side and from the back office side, it's um, important. And then 
again, you go to the ongoing due diligence, right? You're making some of these investments may have three, five year time horizons, but you have a liquidity provision. So it's the ongoing quarterly updates, right? How do you make sure that you're following or tracking certain KPIs that could be the yield, right? That they're supposed to create could be the return. It could be the debt they're supposed to put on the portfolio. And I think that's a really important part that, you know, you want to have a system in place, right? You get audited by the SEC, you get audited by another group. You, you want to have traction of that. And again, we built that in the Salesforce, which has been great, right? I can go in and look at the last four, six, eight quarters and see what are the notes we've taken or the emails that we've, you know, exchanged, et cetera. So those are three probably really good examples of how we've can combated some of those hurdles. And the first one I think is really important because I've talked to a lot of maybe new family offices that are just starting or an RIA group that's looking to get into alternatives. And you kind of think, oh, well, I know a lot of quote unquote deal people. I'll just tell people I'm open for business and I'll start the funnel up. But the reality is building that network out takes a huge amount of time and it really needs to be somebody's full-time job probably. And even though it seems like it's a pretty broad universe, it is a fairly small group. I mean, when we had lunch, we got introduced by another RIA group that invests with us who's a mutual friend. And then we also shared a connection with somebody who works with me that went to high school with you and your your, or knew you all from Memphis and knew your families and grew up together. Right. There's all these different touch points that kind of confirm that you're a good actor, you know, that you're in the flow. And that takes, I mean, 10, 20 years of institutional knowledge. And then you have to have the CRM set up to track it all. It's no easy thing. And I think a lot of people take it for granted, but it, it's a lot of work to make sure you're getting the best deal flow and you're constantly hitting the road, doing the lunches and the coffees. I mean, when we met, I made two or three introductions for you to make sure that you were getting plugged in. I sent you some networking events in Nashville and you reciprocated. I mean, that's the world that we live on. And it it, it can't just be like your part-time job. No, no, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's, it is a full-time job and it's extremely important. So, you know, when we go out and we pitch other groups, I mean, that is one of our biggest selling points. We've been doing this for 10 years. We have spent a ton of time, money and resources to build a network. And I, I think it's funny, I listened to, the last podcast you put up and it, you know, the individual you're talking to, he said, look, one of the biggest, you know, best things about deal flow is it's, it's a warm lead, right? That, and I agree with them. You know, the, the best deals I get are the ones that move to the top of the list or, you know, again, the group you mentioned that introduced us, they send me a deal. I'm more than likely going to look at it that day because it's someone I trust and you, you know, they're plugged in and, and kind of vice versa. So you bring, you build that network out and it's important. It's funny. I was looking, you know, kind of prepping for this call and looking at my calendar and, you know, I think every week of almost every month, there's someone else I talk to in my network, you know, on a bi-quarterly, you know, on a quarterly basis or semi-annually basis. And you just, you have to do it, right? You have to connect. And I think that's one of the things I push myself to do. You know, I travel a lot for work and I travel a lot personally, but either or wherever I am, how do you ping your network and find one new person to meet? And I think that's, and again, that's one of our selling points is it's access to the to best in breed managers and also access to managers that others haven't found yet, right? And I think that's, that's a really important part of our value add. And I think it's just an important part of building a successful kind of private program for your practice. And the other part of your statement that I want to hit on is the back of the house, the technology, which has really allowed groups like yours and mine to scale efficiently, but it, it, it doesn't come without cost. I mean, it's, it's a big sunk cost. It's a lot of overhead. It does provide, you know, for scalability and efficiencies. But again, you've got to go out there and find the right vendors. You've got to implement it all. You've got to migrate all that data. It's great when it's done on the on the front end or I mean, for the end user, but it's a lot of work to onboard it. So can you maybe talk through 
kind of how you guys leverage technology to make a better experience for your partners? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's funny. So I mentioned, you know, my partner, managing partner of the firm, Rafael Martorello, he'll actually be on uh, your capital call here at the end of the month. He has a management consulting background. So everything we do in our business, and Brian, I remember you mentioned this too, is process oriented, right? So, you know, what, how do we design technology is obviously a big piece of that, but how do we build everything with process in mind? And and, and honestly, the, the truth is, how do we build it so that, you know, God forbid, you know, it's part of underwriting, you know, someone gets hit by a bus, you you can replace them, the process seamlessly, because at the end of the day, your, your investors are making an investment in your firm and in your product. And so that's important to us. And so when we look at, at technology and, you know, vendor management, you know, you think about supply chain consulting, part of that is looking at every piece of the supply chain. How do you make it better? How do you look at vendors? And so to your point, when we look at the technology side of things, we looked at a lot of different, you know, resources. You know, there's now technology that's built CRMs just for deal flow. And at the end of the day, we decided, you know, the Salesforce platform was great. I don't know if sure if you guys use it, but it's super customizable. We can sit there and, you know, you can spend 20 grand, you can spend $250,000 building out a platform. But what we liked about it is we could really customize what we wanted. We could take it in phases. Like, like you said, it's an expensive endeavor. So over time we can make it better. And it wasn't this out of the box. Like this is how it works and this is what you fit into. And, and we continue to use technology to do things in a way that really helps our process. And so, you know, a lot of our portfolio management tools, you know, we built, you know, actually in Google Sheets versus Excel, which is a little bit different than probably what you hear with a lot of investment firms, but we love the collaboration that allows and can link sheets and trackers. And, you know, part of part of the big value add that we've done, you know, with one of the funds that we built in the life settlement space is, you know, we've really kind of processed out that industry, which I don't think a lot of other fund managers have done. And I think the use of technology has has really allowed us to kind of put ourselves ahead of our competition in terms of that internal system. Yeah, we actually just migrated to HubSpot from a from a different platform that we had outgrown. We looked at Salesforce. It's an incredible tool, probably too much for where we are right now. Right. HubSpot's probably a little bit too much, but we'll grow into it. Like you said, the capabilities of these things are incredible once you really get into the weeds. Let's go a little bit more granular and talk about what the actual solution sets are and the products that you offer. I, I think when I was doing my homework, you've got kind of three different buckets that people can can go to to access alternatives. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. And, you know, we've kind of, you know, lessons learned at our end. You know, I think that's one of our biggest, you know, value adds again for us is, you know, we built everything initially for our client base, right? How do we solve an internal problem and or issue? And so, as I, and as you mentioned, we touched on at the beginning of this call, you know, alternatives are a huge part of our practice. Holly, I think at this point, we've placed almost 600 plus individual private placements for our clients. And so when we thought through that, and this will get into our three product sets, you know, how do you efficiently do that? And again, you, you know, you mentioned you have client A, 12 different private placements, that's 12 different sub docs, 12 different investments to report on. And again, a lot of the reporting, right? As you know, Brian, on the back end of this is, you know, is it return of capital? Is it income? It's a big piece of it. We sat there and kind of looked at us, you know, looked at each other, uh, you know, our investment team and said, there's got to be a better way to access alternatives, a more scalable way. You know, instead of this a la carte, you know, you, you, you fit this risk tolerance and you need this goal, you're going to do these two products. And so about four years ago, we launched our first internal diversified product that really what that allowed us to do was for our smaller, you know, our, our, our smaller client set, let's call it 5 million and below in AUM. They would just do, you know, a one ticket. So right, you get one sub doc and the one fund and that that internal vehicle has 10 to 15 investments. So, you know, they're they're automatically diversified day one. 
which is great. You know, that's important. That's super scalable from the organizational side of things. And, you know, then for our larger clients or larger families, and again, everyone knows this, they, they, they actually have fallen in love, funny enough, with the fund of funds product, but they also want their one-off yields. So they have a direct access, right? So we, we actually call it our core satellite. Our core is vintage close-in fund of funds. And then our satellites are those one-off opportunities, right? It could be your VC deal, your private equity deal. But what's important to us is we want our clients to have diversification. It's really, really important piece. And then, you know, out of our our love for alts, our, our private program, we actually identified a few strategies that we like to build in-house and build teams in-house. And that's the third offering is we actually have a separate company, Lotus Group Capital where we, we house our direct product lines. And the first is in the life settlement space. So we're buying and selling the beneficiary interest of life insurance contracts. And now that's a, it's a, it's a value add to our clients. They get that product at a reduced fee structure. And then we now, you know, we've now, you know, raised capital from some multifamily offices, large RIAs, you know, foundations and that product. And it's another revenue stream that we can build upon kind of the expertise that, you know, we built in house. Which is really cool the way you've set it up, because like you said, the different products are for different profiles of investors and where they are in their growth or education or comfort level. But then they can grow with you all internally, right? If they want to start doing direct deals, once they get comfortable with a fund of funds model, you can offer that up to them. And so I really like the way that you've structured it. Can you maybe go through some of the benefits that investors you know, enjoy by coming in through the fund of fund model in particular, which I think makes a lot of sense for a lot of groups? Yeah, no. And absolutely. So, you know, there's a couple of things that come to mind. First off, and it's somewhat obvious, but it's diversification, right? So you 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 put in $250,000 into a, a, you know, one ticket into our fund and, and you're getting access to 10 to 15 different institutional investment vehicles. Those could be funds. Some of them are SMAs we have with groups, co-investments, direct deals, and you're getting, you know, a mishmash of, of different um, investment structures, profiles, et cetera. And you get that diversification. So, you know, let's just make it simple. You put 250 grand in, we have 10 investments. That's 25 grand a pop, which as you know, those are hard to find those investment opportunities, you know, as an individual, you know, and then the other piece that's really important is the access, right? So that same one ticket, 250,000, if you were to go direct to all the investors, you know, the, all the individual GPs, deal sponsors, you know, you're looking at having to have, you know, 25 to 30 million in investable. So, you know, for us, that is, that's huge. And then the third, and I kind of touched on it is the operational components, right? It's, it's one sub doc. You're not doing 10 different sub docs. It's one K1. So we're, we're running around our back office tracking down the K1s and it's really a simplified solution. And again, it's just like modern portfolio theory. You look at designing a basket of stocks and you want to have 20 different names again, because one's up 20, 20%, one's down 20%. And again, we're investing in very kind of slow, steady, nine to 12% return profiles. So we're not in the VC private equities, but again, you know, that you're not noticing if one strategy is down 1% for the quarter, right? That's going to flow through the fund of funds and usually be mitigated by what's up and, you know, and the other pieces. And so, you know, those are the three highlights I think that most groups, you know, and most of our investors have fallen in love with is just the simplicity. And that's important. It's a really important piece. And, and I think to call out two points, one is obviously the access and then two are the minimums. I know from our standpoint, from from our firm, you know, we send out emails and, and people who get them first are our legacy investors and then folks who have larger allocations, right? And yep. so even getting access to my deals, if it's really attractive, if you're not a legacy investor with me, you, you may not ever see it, right? Because, you know, for various reasons, there's a lot of appetite right now. But a group like yours, 
you know, we can make sure that you all get a first look at everything. So it makes a lot of sense from our standpoint, you're going to allocate a big number or a sizable percentage of the deal. And then also some of these minimums are really good, you know, best in class manager, even if it is a middle market private equity group, probably a $250,000 minimum. And that's just a big check to stroke, even if you're a high net worth individual. So to get access at a smaller price point through a group like yours, I think makes a ton of sense and is, you know, frankly, hard to find. Yeah, no, I agree. We, we've tried to do it as intelligently as we can, right, from the lessons learned. And, you know, look, I think we've, we, like I said, we've, we've tried to design the whole program so that it feeds each other. And like you said, it's a, you can come in through the fund of funds as our clients grow, which we love, right? They, they, their appetite, you know, they understand the risk tolerance, they understand the appetite for private, they can do the one-offs. And then, you know, the bonus of our fund of funds structure too is all the deal flow I'm seeing, right, could potentially be the next opportunity we bring to Lotus Group Capital, right? And that's really exciting fits the entrepreneurial spirit for us. But, you know, that's there. Everything is synergistic from the standpoint of it kind of feeds to each other. And I think that's important, right? And we're trying to capitalize on kind of every end of the value chain. And look, to your point, we're probably not going to launch a middle market private equity fund. There's a lot of groups out there that can do it better have done it longer. But, you know, where we can find opportunities like in life settlements, where it's under the run, kind of esoteric, different asset class, you know, there's, there was a real opportunity for us to capitalize and it's exciting, right? There's a lot of interesting opportunities to make money in this market. And this is kind of, like you said, one of those times where the appetite's really, really, really large for kind of alternatives in general. So can you kind of break out what's within the fund of funds, maybe not specific fund managers or, or sponsor names, but just product type or, or industry or asset class and how you thought about constructing it? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, when we think of fund of funds, you know, the first thing we do is we take a macro lens of what's going on in the world. So we'll go back to what we discussed at the beginning of the show, which is right, equity valuations are at all-time highs and fixed income yields are at all-time lows, right? And so those are two real issues that we needed to solve internally for our clients. And so again, for us, we put that lens on, that immediately takes us for us personally, we're not thinking about private equity. We're not thinking about VC, right? Multiples are all high. That's just our personal view. And again, there's a lot of managers that I'm sure will do great. So for us, we want to find, you know, strategies in this product that are asset backed, recession resilient, and I can kind of get into that and income producing. And so when we think about those three kind of core characteristics, there's kind of three asset classes we look at for a number of reasons. And again, macro lens in mind first, there's infrastructure, kind of specialty finance and real estate. And so you think about inflationary environment, yield on, you know, where a lot of our tax dollars are going to, right? With the new administration, infrastructure, real assets, that's a great space. And then for yield, we're going to specialty finance. So, you know, I was kind of thinking about this question, you know, of, you know, of what we talk about. And so thinking of the numbers, I think as of yesterday, like the 10 years at, you know, you know, 170 basis points, right? And so you look at specialty finance, we're finding deals that are six, eight, 10% yields, right? So you're getting, you know, three to five X what, you know, or more than what the 10 years paying and even the 30 years at 205 basis points, right? So that's especially finance. A lot of these deals are like, min, it could be mid-market credit manager with floating rate loans, right? So as interest rates rise, we have protection there. We love real estate because of the real asset profile. Like you said, you guys are finding deals that, you know, 10, 12% cash on cash yields. And then of course you have the inflation protection just from the real asset. And then infrastructure, there's just, you know, a lot of legislation that's in place, right? That should fund that for the next five, 10 years. And rightfully so, we have some major issues on that front. And, and there's a lot of tax benefits 
to that. And so you kind of put all that together and, and we built a portfolio of just asset kind of asset backed opportunities that, you know, for us and for our client base personally, you know, a lot of our clients are entrepreneurs. I think I mentioned that to you. So they could take a lot of risk in their everyday life. They're looking for that consistency of return, right? That trust, that's a nine to 12% net kind of underwritten return profile for this vehicle. And that's what's speaking, spoken, you know, well to our client base. And I think to a lot of the, you know, outside investors, they see the same benefit, right? It's, it's consistency. And that's an important piece of kind of the fund and the construction of that portfolio. So let's pivot to the longevity fund. What spurred you to have an internal product solution? How did you build that team out? And then I want to get into some of the specifics and details about the investment. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, I'll turn it back to me for just a second and then I'll explain probably, you know, why a little truth is going to get fit to me. I think why it's going to get fit for my partner and I and our other partners at the firm, but I've always been super entrepreneurial, always. And so when you think about the uh, common path for finance, right, you go to a school, more like whatever, you know, the University of Arkansas was great. Did, did the finance path, loved it. Would say 90% of the, you know, that my peers in finance went bold bracket investment bank. And you know that route, right? You do it. Majority of people do it two to four years. It's, it's a lot of work. There's, you know, you make really good money out of college. It's, it's the great skill set. Or you even mentioned, Brian, I, I think it's great. You guys look for that skill set. You know, if you're hiring someone, I think it's important. You know, I noticed really early on that would never fit me because, you know, I just love touching every piece of the business. And so I worked for a hedge fund and multifamily office out of my first job out of college and then met the group, Lotus Group, I'm with now. And one of the things that I admired about Lotus Group was just the entrepreneurial mindset right? The need to always think outside the box. And so I think that hits into why did we do the direct, you know, the life settlements product was we had built this program. We had realized there's some asset classes that have some really interesting attributes. And so life settlements, for example, it's completely uncorrelated to any other macro kind of driver. You know, you're not really that correlated to interest rates, very small correlation there, no correlation to the equity markets. And so again, you, you embody that entrepreneurial mindset. It's funny, you know, Roth came to me, I guess this was in 2018 in January and said, hey, Lewis, I'd like to see if we could launch a product in life settlements. Can you figure out how to do it? And, you know, it's kind of funny. You know, I asked myself then, you know, my mid 20s, it's kind of a big ask, but, you know, it goes back to, I think it's our entrepreneurial spirit and the need again, to, can we create a solution for our clients that makes sense for kind of where we are in the economic environment. And so we spent nine, 10 months building it out, dissecting the supply chain. Again, I mentioned that's Roth's background in management consulting, supply chain. And, you know, we built the fund and it was, you know, it's it a lot of work and, you know, we're kind of laugh now three years later, um, you know, where we are today. It's been a long, it's been a long journey, but we built a team. You know, I think we're now, you know, six or seven on that team. And, you know, I think we're about a, a year away. And the, the impetus of that was we build that team that can run that product without um, Rob and myself. I'm basically out um, of that day-to-day operation of that, which is great. And we're probably about a year away from him stepping out and we'll go look at the next, you know, what's, what's that next opportunity. But again, you know, our need and want to look outside the box, but also just that entrepreneurial spirit to go after it and do it. I think it's a lot of work, you know, setting up your own firm and setting up a new product takes a lot. And um, it's been exciting. And again, we we have some amazing capital partners and, and I think a really real opportunity to do some good in the asset class, which is great. So yeah, I don't want to go through the whole pitch and belabored. You all are presenting on our capital club next week, but maybe could you just give some highlights about kind of um, the opportunity set, the return profile, some of the benefits that come from this fund? Yeah, no, absolutely. So yeah, start out as 
very quick and do it in a sentence, you know, what is a life settlement? So our fund is buying the beneficiary interest of life insurance contracts. So Mr. Smith, you know, is 75 years old. He has a $1 million universal life policy. He's had it for 20 years. He's been paying it, you know, paying into that. Probably has spent 100, 200, 300 grand in premiums, right? Let's say he either, one, can't afford the premiums anymore, or two, he has no need for that policy, right? He's high net worth individual. We always made a lot of money. There's no reason for him to pay the premiums. Well, you know, traditionally, what was your option? He'd lapse that policy. So we are able to offer them a cash sum, right? For that policy, we buy the policy on the beneficiary owner and we own that until, you know, maturity event. And so, you know, it's a different, you know, we're buying from, we're doing what life insurance companies have done forever, except we're actually, for us, we're, we're a source of liquidity, right? Most people don't realize that's an asset. And so what we're able to do is we're able to pull these contracts together and, and create it, an uncorrelated 8 to 12% return profile. And actually a piece of that is 3 or 4% yield. And so for us, you know, where we've positioned it for our clients and a lot of the family offices that have invested with us is it's a fixed income substitute in our mind, right? It's an uncorrelated fixed income substitute with, you know, equity like returns. And again, it's, it's, you know, risk factors are completely different than any other kind of asset class in your portfolio. And again, if done correctly, we think it's just an, it's an excellent fixed income surrogate in an excellent place. They kind of take a portion of that, that fixed income bucket that is really earning nothing at this point in time. Yeah. And, and certainly an esoteric asset class that nobody could or should be doing on their own. So you're providing great access for people and a really good solution set. Well, listen, I want to thank you for coming on. It's already been 40 minutes. It's really blown by. And I encourage people, if you're interested in learning about alternatives or learning more about kind of private equity in general, Lewis and his team are awesome. It's a really, I think, needed product solution for the marketplace. And I appreciate you coming on and sharing the story. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I appreciate it. Like you said, I'm always a willing resource. It's a, it's a fun topic and a lot to, to dive into. So I appreciate the time and, uh, you know, hopefully we can continue the conversation. Yeah. So real quick, we'll include, um, we'll, you know, we'll tag you on LinkedIn and include some content information in the show notes. But if people are interested in engaging with you in the firm, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Yeah, you can, uh, you can reach me directly via email. That's Lewis, L-O-U-I-S at lotusgroupcapital.com. You know, on the on my email, probably too much if you ask my significant other, but I'm always available if you guys have questions. And again, there's a lot to digest here. So, you know, any questions, you know, questions on how we get to access, questions on who we use for third parties, we're always uh, always willing to chat. So thank you. And I'm violating my rule back when I was a prosecutor asking a question I don't know the answer to, but where the name come from? Lotus Group? Lotus Group. So the Lotus flower, right, is, you know, they, they come from, you know, usually comes from like swampy, murky waters. It's a it's a really pretty flower. So for us, you know, it, and our clients, right, you're able to, you know, fr- from the Lotus and from the swamp is something beautiful. So for us, it's, we're always able to kind of, no matter the situation, we're that steady, steadfast individual or firm in your life. And that's important to us, you know, our, our mantras make, make life count, right? So we want to, we want to be an outsourced financial expert to our clients so that they can focus on the things that they're, that they're great at, right? And again, kind of goes back to our know, big focus is bed entrepreneurs, right? So that's important to us. And again, we're, we're here in Denver. So if you're here local, always happy to grab a coffee as well. Yeah. Well, if you keep on getting snow, I'm going to be back out there. So Lewis, thanks so much for joining me. It was awesome. I look forward to having you all on Capital Club and uh, I'm sure our paths are going to cross in person soon. So take care and. Speak soon. Yeah, appreciate it, Brian. Thank you. All right, man. Thank you. Thank you for joining the conversation on Colloquium. 
If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.